if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and just put your finger there for a moment. Uh, we're going to be getting there in just a second, but right now we are in a really interesting time just in life in general. That, that time that's in between Christmas and New Year's. Now, I personally love this time of the year because Christmas is my favorite holiday. And now, after Christmas is over with, though, you get this time that between the, the hustle that takes and happens just when the uh, January starts back up and all the things start going back and all the schedules start to get crazy again. Right now is that moment where it's a little bit more relaxed, we're able to hang out the house, but also to look forward to what the new year could potentially bring. There's always this seeming expectation of what, I wonder what 24 is going to bring. Hopefully we don't have another year like 2020 or something like that, that just something cra crazy pops out of nowhere. But it's also great to look forward with great expectation about what potentially this new year is coming up. But at the same time, this is the time of New Year's resolutions. And everybody said, oh. Oh, that was, that was weak. Let me ask you this. How many of you, by show of hands, have made a New Year's resolution? Anybody? Anybody in the past, your entire life? Anybody show of hands? Oh, some of you guys are like, I'm not raising my hand for that. No, how many of you have made a resolution that you did not actually keep anybody in the room. Okay, there's actually more hands for that than there was for the New Year's resolutions, which is interesting. But it's interesting because I've made more than my fair share of New Year's resolutions that didn't actually come to pass. I mean, I can't count the amount of times where I started at the beginning of the year and say, you know what, this is the year. This is the year. I'm going to start going to the gym more regularly. I'm going to start getting my diet locked in. And by this time next year, I'm going to look like Chris Hemsworth. You know that uh, guy who plays Thor in the Marvel movies? Like that, this is going to be my year. Or, or this is the year that I'm going to take and launch that, that side hustle online that's going to make me a millionaire and then don't have to worry about my finances from this point forward. You know, we think of all these resolutions that we've either made in the past and maybe done well or maybe failed, but it's easy to be defeated when looking towards the future. Like I can think to myself, I've had 33 of these New Year's now, truth be told, and it can bring up unpleasant feelings when I look back at my past and all these changes I wanted to make and all these expectations I had about how the New Year was going to be different and it just didn't pan out didn't work. It didn't happen. And I start to question in the back of my, my mind, if I'm being completely honest, like, can I really have a new year? A year where things are different. A, things where, a year where there's a, a fresh wind, where there's change. How can I look forward towards the future and really expect anything any different than what it has been in years past? I mean, this type of negative discouragement is one thing when we think about dieting or we think about exercise or finance or gym attendance or whatever it is, but what about those failed resolutions that we've maybe made to ourselves when it comes to our relationship with God? I can't tell you how many times that I've gone and I had the resolution that, you know, this is the year that I'm going to make sure that Bible devotions are my first priority. 
I'm going to knock that out at the beginning of each day. Or I'm going to make sure that this is the year I pray more. And I pray with urgency and fervency because I can see the reason, the impact that a goal like that would have. But when we fail these types of resolutions, especially when it comes to our relationship with God, our, feel, our thoughts can get pretty dark quickly. We start to doubt almost everything. We start to doubt our salvation. Uh, start to doubt whether God is real. I mean, if I really am a believer in Christ, why is it so difficult for me to take and to, to dive into his word or to go to God in prayer? We start to have all of these nagging feelings and thoughts, at least for me, at the, t- at the start of the new year. And I'm not going to ask you show of hands in the room how many of you may be feeling the same way, but today, my goal here is to share with you that there is hope for the new year. There's real hope that you can get excited about. Why? Because God, the Holy Spirit, is in the equation. Today, what we're going to do in my time together is we're going to cover three, I would say, mindset changes that you need to have in order to make 2024 really matter. To take and to actually grow closer to your Heavenly Father this year and maybe to uncover for the first time what God's will and purpose is for your life. These real changes start with, first of all, looking back on our past, looking to the future, and then also making the right choices, the right plans today. And so, if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's where we're going to start off today. But the first thing we're going to do, and write this down in your hand, uh, handout, is your first point, is that we have to, before we start looking to any kind of behavior change and what to expect for the following year, we have to remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness, because God has been so faithful to his people. And if we forget what God's already done in our own lives, we forget to our own detriment. In Deuteronomy 6, we see one of the the most famous sections and prayers of the entire Bible. It's still used as a daily prayer to uh, to Israelite people today, and it's recited by Jewish people daily. It's a passage that we refer to as the Shema. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm actually starting at verse 1. And so if you will, if you are able, would you please stand with me in reverence of God's holy word. In Deuteronomy 6, starting at verse 1, Moses, speaking to the Israelite people, says, This is the command, the statutes and ordinances the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, so that you may follow them in the land that you were about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all of his statutes and commands that I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful how you follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4, listen, Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Verse 10. 
When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. You may be seated. This passage is beautiful. I bet you can see why, just by reading it, why it became one of the central passages to the people of God. It shows a brief history about what God has done for Israel by bringing them out of Egypt and opening the Red Sea and giving them freedom from their captives, but also gives a charge for parents and for families for them to pass down the word that they've received from God. It's not necessarily something that's supposed to be given to other people. It's a charge for parents to take and to teach their children God's goodness and the way that he's gone in the past, but that's a, uh, a sermon for another day. But near the end of this decree, the Israelites are told to make sure that they don't forget the Lord. Like, isn't that an interesting command when you think about it? It's not do this or don't do that. It's like, do not forget. And now remember, this is one of the most central teachings in the entire Old Testament. And the command is for them to remember, to keep in mind what had just taken place. Why? Because the Israelites were just taken out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. The Red Sea collapsed on their enemies. I mean, think about this. Why in the world would the Israelites ever forget how God had worked in that way? How could they even forget? How would that even be possible considering the amazing things God had done for them? But, you know, what's interesting is that that is the truth of our human condition. That when things are going good, whenever we have everything that we seemingly need, and whenever we feel content, we tend to revert to not relying upon God, to forgetting the good things that he's done in our lives. And as you grow in your faith, if, you, if you've been a Christian for any number of years, you will see this and begin to notice the same thing transpire in your own life. The, the things, the miracles that God has done in the past, the ways that he has provided, the things that he has done, the mountains he has moved for you will tend to fade from memory. It's almost as if we have a spiritual amnesia that just gets in the way that whenever something happens to us, we tend to forget how God has been faithful to us in the past. But this command that God gives to the Israelites is to not forget. And if you were here in this room and you're a believer in Jesus, you have a history not to forget, but to actually celebrate. Because God has done more for you and for me than we can ever imagine. I mean, we can think about this from the beginning, when God created the world perfect. But because of our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, because of their disobedience, sin entered the world. And as a result of sin entering the world, we now have a sin nature ourselves that we do not do what is right. We rebel against God, every single one of us. And by nature, we are children under wrath. But God knew this, and he decided to make a change, a way for us to take and to reconcile with him. 
He sent his son, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, who ultimately gave his life to be a sacrifice for us, that all we have to do for anyone and everyone is to put our faith in Jesus, ask him for his forgiveness, and the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit invades our lives. We now become adopted children of the creator of the universe. That God promises he will never leave us or forsake us a single moment while we are here on this earth. And not only that, that he gives us the power in order to take and to do certain things in his name. He gives us peace and joy, things that go beyond our circumstances, all these things which are great for today. But he promised us an eternity with him that we will live with as sons and daughters for the rest of time. This is an amazing promise that he's given to each and every one of us. And that's something worth celebrating. That's not even including the ways that he has specifically come to the aid of you and me individually. I can tell you some stories about how God has shown up in my life where I didn't even pray about something the way I should have. But then he provided in such a way that I could just look back and go, wow, God's amazing. He is so good. And if you are a Christian, God has done amazing things for you. And you and I cannot forget how he has already worked. Because if we forget, we will question God's goodness. And we will look to the future, not with hope, but with trepidation, wondering if he really is going to come through in his promises to take care of us and to be abundant with the, the abundant life that he promises to his children. You see, the Old Testament people, they knew this. And in order to remember specific events that took place, they uh, built these physical monuments that they called altars. Abraham, Isaac, Noah, Moses, and Jacob, all these guys, they built altars after something significant took place in their life. They were mostly made out of stone, something that would ultimately outlast them. They did this for a reason, so that when people looked at these altars, even after they were gone, they would be able to look at it and remember what God had done. And ultimately, it would provide them hope for the, the future, where he provided then, he would also provide again. Like Genesis 12, for example, Genesis 12, verse 7 through 8, says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. So, so far, we've got Abraham. He built this altar after God told him that this was the land that he had sworn to give him. And so later, we actually see in, verse, in chapter 13, Abraham goes back to this altar and he calls on God once again. Verse 13, starting verse 3, it says, He went by stages from Negev to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had formerly been, to the site where he had built the altar. And Abraham called on the name of the Lord there. So Abraham, he not only built something that would signify this important event in his life, but also when he traveled back to that place, he was able to be there and revisit how God 
had worked, how he had called upon the Lord and how he could call upon the Lord to work again. You see, these altars, they weren't just placed to, like, to remember for nostalgia's sake, but they were vital for the people of God to look forward to their future. They could look at these altars and think to themselves, if God kept his promise with Abraham, if God has led us out of the Red Sea, if we have crossed the Jordan, if we see these altars and we recognize that happened, he can do it again. So for you and me, when we look back, we see God's faithfulness. We can look forward ahead with great expectancy knowing that if he worked before, he can do it again. And so my first, I guess, challenge to you, and a question I want you to ask yourself here as we come up to this new year is, do you see and do you remember how God has been faithful to you in your past? Do you remember? Do you have a system in place to help you remember in case you're forgetful like I am? And my challenge would be to become an expert in God's goodness to you. Become an expert in God's faithfulness to you because he has been so good. And so to first transform a mindset about what to look forward to this new year, we have to look back and see God's faithfulness. But you and I, we also must look ahead. And so the second shift I'd say that we have to have in our mindset is number two, to expect transformation by the Holy Spirit. If you're right, taking notes, that's your number two. Expect transformation by the the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an amazing passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. It says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I didn't get an amen, so let me say it for the people in the back. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There we go. Nice. All right. I was, I was wondering. Uh, so back to our resolutions here for just a second. It's easy to feel, again, defeated when they don't pan out. Some of you have been dealing with maybe some circumstances or issues for so long in your lives that you don't think that real change is really even possible any longer. Maybe you've been dealing with some past trauma. Maybe you have this behavior that you just can't seem to shake or a, a secret sin that you've been dealing with for maybe a long time. You feel like now maybe it's just become part of you. It's who you are because you've tried to change it in the past, but to no real avail. And you just over and over again, and you just feel like you have no power to really overcome. You know what? You would be right if it was only up to you. But where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom from shackles, freedom from chains, freedom from our old self with its selfish desires. There is real hope available for the upcoming year to break free of some of these things, not because of you and I's ability to white knuckle and to do better, but because of the Holy Spirit's active work in our lives. Like, I've got a friend of mine, really, who is a Navy SEAL. And this guy uh, is an intimidating individual. I walk into the room and I'm just looking up at him like this. He's like one of those guys that has served for multiple terms. And whenever like talking to him, there's just something that is different about him. He's a weird, he's a crazy guy to take in a hangout with. Um, but what's interesting about Navy SEALs is that 
their job, the thing that he was paid to do, was to take and to go into enemy hostile territory, to train and to do repetitions over and over and over again so that if there was ever somebody who was a a hostage or somebody that was locked away, they would take and go into that dwelling, they would take out the enemy in very quick, decisive fashion and to rescue the people that were locked away that had no power to take and do anything on their own. It's interesting is that There's people out there that are captive by the bad guys. They can't save themselves. And so it was his job as well as his friends to go in there and to provide safety and to get them from that situation where they were powerless. Friends, we have the same type of advocate on our behalf and he is the Holy Spirit. When we're saved, our salvation is sealed by the Spirit. And he takes up residence in our lives. And it's his power that has the ability to free us from the things that we cannot free ourselves from. God gives us the power to do the things that we cannot. We see this in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 12 says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's by the Spirit that we put to death the things that we are self-desires and our selfish ambitions, not our own striving. Again, you can't take and grit yourself in order to clean yourself up well enough for God to love you or to look at you with approval. You can't do it. Stop trying. You are going to fail. And so how is real change possible when battling temptations in our life, maybe strongholds that we've been battling through for years? It's when we give those things to God, but then focus more on desiring God in our lives. And when we get serious about pursuing the Lord in a relationship with him more than anything else in our lives, the temptation begins to lose its grip. It starts to be less powerful. Like, for example, how you know how the best way to start a new diet? It's not actually just to take and to have all of the the things prepped and have the counters or the kitchen all taken care of and take all the food out, all these different things, these strategies. In my experience, the best way to have a diet is by setting real goals that I'm trying to achieve, but then also having really hard and difficult workouts. What do I mean? I mean that it's one thing to take and go by a table and see a whole box of donuts and say, you know what? Those donuts look great. I'm just not going to willpower myself. I'm going to willpower myself to go away from them. But something completely different to after having this intense workout to where like just you know, sweated and grinded it out for an hour to walk by that same thing of donuts, all of a sudden it's like, I'm not going to ruin the work I just put in and partake in one of those. It's not worth it to me any longer. And the same principle can be taken and given to our spiritual lives, that when we take and we focus on just dealing with the temptation by itself, we may have limited success. However, if we recognize but the temptations that we give into, those secret sins, they, they, they provide a wedge between us and our relationship with God. If you've been prioritizing your relationship with Jesus, man, I don't want to ruin 
my closeness with Jesus through the Holy Spirit because of this thing. It's not worth it any longer. Prioritizing a relationship with God, desiring intimacy is actually the key to breaking free of temptation. And so the question for you and me is uh, knowing this, seeing that this is the way the Spirit works, is that when you look to the future, do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Or have you given up hope for your future? You have to realize that the Spirit can give us power to cleanse us through whatever it is that we're going through so that we can live for His glory. You and I, my friends, we have to embrace a posture of surrender. Realize it's not in you and I's power to transform. It never was. It's always been on the Spirit. Always has been and always will be. Ask God's Spirit to do what you cannot and trust that he will. And so, for this next year, I encourage you to remember your past, to look forward to 2024 as a, a time of change and transformation, not because of what you're going to do, but because what God is going to do through you. And finally, what does that mean for me today? What does that mean I need to change today? You know what? That's a great question. You guys always ask the best questions. Part number three, plan for today. Write that down. If you have been taking notes, if you got your notes, uh, insert plan for today. First Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says this. Paul writing to his spiritual protege, Timothy, says, have, have nothing to do with irrelevant and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. See, this is interesting because there's this dynamic that's taking place that we recognize just from looking at what God said through Romans chapter 8, that the power of our transformation comes through the Spirit, right? But... The same thing, is, it can also be said that this is not something that only passively happens to us. It is through the power of the Spirit and desire for action on our part that we receive real freedom. If we put in the reps, it is the Spirit that provides the results, but we still have to put in the reps. What do I mean? I mean, honestly, the solution is very, very simple, even if it really isn't that easy to put into practice. That if you want to experience the full life of Jesus, the abundant life that he promises us in John 10, 10, the, the reason the, uh, that we were made to exist in the beginning is that we have to put into practice his lifestyle, his habits. That's it. Just take and make his habits your habits. Make his life a template for your own. To take and to look at the teachings of Jesus and the things that he did and to mimic them in our own life, in our own context. And what we mean by that is this idea of practicing what we call spiritual disciplines today. Spiritual disciplines, uh, discipline is kind of a bad word because it means that we're going to be trying to do something. I prefer the practices of Jesus, but what they are is really just the habits that we do in pursuit of a godly life by looking at Jesus as our example. And the goal of these things that we do is ultimately to grow in relational intimacy or closeness with God and let him transform our lives from the inside out. 
See, like Paul tells Timothy that, listen, training out your body, it's helpful. You should do that. It's not a bad thing. But spiritual disciplines are greater because they matter not only for now, but also for eternity. And this year, if you're planning on making a change, I would encourage you first to start by making a change in your spiritual habits, by engaging the word, taking and making prayer a priority, worshiping, and even resting. For example, starting off with engaging in the word. You can take and start off this year in an amazing fashion by taking and saying, this year I'm going to make daily Bible reading a, a part of my daily lifestyle rhythm. And don't start off crazy and like say, oh, I'm going to start off by 30 minutes a day, but just making little changes by going to a chapter or, or even using right now media as a source to help you in your devotions can be a major game changer when it comes to you experiencing God's joy and peace and abundant life today. And the reason I say Bible engagement is because there's a difference between reading the Bible passively in order to get your two chapters in, check off the box, and to leave it where it was. But to read it, ultimately asking a question, what do I need to change as a result? I find that journaling helps me out so much with this. There's easy ways to do that, resources that are available from your small group leaders and through our stuff online. But all that to say is that if you are not engaged in the word on a daily basis, make this year the year that that happens. It could also be through prayer. Uh, small things. It's even setting an alarm on your phone, your smartphone, that when it goes off, that's a reminder for you to pray for just a few minutes. Uh, making worship a priority, not just coming to church and worshiping here, but allowing it to be a part of your lifestyle, whether that be through music or getting out in nature, whatever it is that whenever you do it, you look up to God and say, thank you so much. You are amazing. Go out and to do that. And then Rest. God created the earth in six days, and he declared the seventh holy. And rest is a part of our spiritual DNA. And you can't burn the candle at both ends for too long. Know that God has specifically desired for us to rest in him. And so when it comes to your life, as you look forward to this upcoming year, start with looking at some of your spiritual disciplines and asking, what small change can I make? Maybe uh, don't start, uh, if you've done this before, maybe you've like been gung-ho and said, I'm going to do this in a year, and then by the time uh, you read through Genesis, Leviticus, or Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you get to Leviticus, and you're like, you hit this grinding halt. And you're like, what happened? Spend time instead starting off in something that you'd like to read, like maybe the book of John and going into Acts and Romans. Maybe take and just, when it comes to Sabbath, if you can't take a full day of rest and worship, Start with an hour to be able to put your phone device away and say, you know, for these next few moments, I'm going to take and prioritize my relationship with God. So my challenge to you with that in mind is to ask yourself the question, would you call 2023 a year of spiritual discipline or of personal indulgence? I mean, what could you do in 2024? Because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And make a plan to get 1% better in your relationship with God today and watch as it exponentially grows through the power of the Spirit. 
And so just to kind of conclude what we, we've been talking about here is that if you want this year to be the year, the year that things actually get better, where you experience some kind of traction or some type of direction in your walk with Jesus, you have to remember his goodness to you in the past. You have to trust his plan for your future. And you have to seek him first this year. Remember his goodness because of how amazing he has been and look in your life and become an expert in his goodness to you. Trust in the future that the Holy Spirit is going to work. He can provide the power that goes beyond ourselves and then seek him first in your daily rhythm this year. I pray that this year for our church that this would be a season of, of deepening faith, of real transformative change, not by our own power, but because of the power of God and a disciplined pursuit of God through the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here and you are a Christian that's just been backsplitting for a while. Maybe it's time for you to recommit. Say, Father, I've been prioritizing too many things for too long and it's time for me to get serious and seek God's will and through the Spirit. But maybe you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus before. You've never had a relationship with Christ. And listen, it does not matter how many of his practices that you put into place, you will never find the abundant life that you were created for outside of submitting to him, putting your faith and trust in him, and being adopted into his family. So as I pray, and you, if you're here, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have an opportunity to do it right now. How much better is it to put your faith and trust in Jesus than anything else you could do this year? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that gives us encouragement and hope for the future. And God, I pray if there's anybody here that is maybe just checking out our church, maybe looking for hope and change and transformation and has looked in a bunch of other places but found them empty, God, I pray that you would help us realize that real change ultimately comes from first and foremost, putting our faith and trust in you. So God, I pray that there's anybody here that's never made Jesus their savior, that's not a Christian, that they would pray something as simple as this. God, I believe that Jesus was real. I believe that he died on a cross for my sins and that he rose again. From this day forward, I want to take and make him my Lord, my King, and I want him to forgive me of all the things I've done in my past. Save me. God, I pray if there's anybody that prayed a prayer like that, they would come up and talk to me or one of our altar counselors that we could share with them what the next steps are and celebrate the amazing change that God has done in their lives. And I also pray if there's anybody here that has done that. Christians here in the room, maybe we're just feeling discouraged. We're, we're wondering if 2024 can bring a new, fresh wind into our relationship with you. I pray that, Lord, we would be reminded that it's not up to us. It never was. That we can look forward to the future with hope because of the power of the Holy Spirit 
looking and seeing how you've worked in our past and knowing that you are still active and working in our lives. Help us to trust in you. Help, you, help us to seek you first every day of our lives. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand as we...